0: Hello, I'm David Farrier, and this podcast is called Armchair and Dangerous. And today we zoom in on the dangerous. We're going to be talking about something very close to my gently beating Kiwi heart, dark tourism.
1: It's spring break, and for many of us, that means a time to get away and relax. But for some, that's just not enough. Tonight, the danger tourist who prefers a quick jaunt to a war zone in Iraq.
0: Dark tourism means different things to different people. But it all boils down to those traveling to places where terrible things have happened, or are still happening. They get bored going to a resort in Hawaii or taking a jaunt to Disneyland. Nope, they want to go somewhere that will make their heart rate increase. And not in a roller coaster kind of way. Nope, roller coasters are for cowards. So a dark tourist will take in some nuclear tourism in Chernobyl, donning a hazmat suit and hiking into the reactor 4 control room. Or maybe they'll partake in some narco-tourism, heading to Colombia to see Pablo Escobar's old prison to meet some of his former hitmen. From watching a real crucifixion in the Philippines to peering down a Dead Sea sinkhole, dark tourism might not be for you, but for many, it's the only way to travel. Or at least it was back when we could travel. Because to be honest, here in 2021, any trip you take outside the house could be classified as dark tourism. I mean, that's what it feels like for me. I left New Zealand where we didn't have any cases of COVID-19, and here I am in America walking around in a face mask arguing with people who definitely own guns and think the pandemic isn't real. If that's not dark, I don't know what is. So, let's sit back and look at what motivates people to willingly travel to places of death and destruction, and whether that's morally defensible, or if it's simply the sanest way to learn about the world around us, and allow us to get out of our comfort zones. So strap in, this is the Dark Tourism episode. I wanted to talk about dark tourism okay. today. But, but really quick, can I comment on
2: one of your photos? Please. Yeah, so of course I saw the photo that you were at Sam Samhain. I thought that was incredible. There were a couple of photos before that. They made me a little sad. The one photo you had, I, apparently you could view the concert from a swimming pool, which in itself is fantastic, but there was almost no one in the swimming pool.
0: I mean, that's the thing. It's a bunch of metal heads. They don't want to get wet. They're in like jeans. They're in black t-shirts. Okay, so it wasn't under attended. It just, they weren't the swimming type. They weren't the swimming types. Okay,
2: that makes me feel better. I was nervous that no one came. There were a lot of people there.
0: Great. No, and that was for Pig Destroyer that was playing there. We were staying in the big pyramid next door. Luxor. Which has a dark past as well. People jump off the top. This ties in with dark tourism. There were allegedly a number of workers that died making it that now haunt the halls. (gasps) Really? It's a pyramid shape on the inside. People jump from the upper floors into the casino. I was there one time when someone jumped. I didn't see it,
1: but there was a big
2: commotion when we returned to the hotel and they were just finishing up dealing with the fact that a dude had jumped from the top. The shape inside is all the floors are a little bit more offset than the next floor up. Oh, so when you're standing, it's a inside. very scary, eerie top I, floor. You look over the railing of the top floor, there's nothing under you because everything's at an angle oh, below you. So ew, you can ew. drop directly into the center of the casino. It's pretty bleak. Did
1: that happened.
0: This happened. Tupac stayed there as well. He wasn't at that hotel when he was killed, but he
2: but was on the stroke. He, st-
1: oh. he was staying at the
0: Luxor. Oh. I'm just a little
2: foreshadowing. Mm. We're going to hear about all the darkness of the Luxor, but I have a story that's actually going to lighten it up at the end. I'm going to save that. It's a sexual story. (laughs) So just
0: to get everyone ready. So what's your knee-jerk reaction to the whole concept of dark tourism? Do you have one?
1: I never, ever want to go to any of these places. I am not interested. I find it very scary. Not your thing. It's not my thing.
0: I like it.
2: I have an immediate ethical dilemma about it. Would you count this as dark tourism? Like when my mother and I went to Germany when I was 16, we went to Dachau. It's like the, the concentration s- yeah, camp. Yeah, second, yes. I think, Absol- uh, absolutely behind Auschwitz. Mm.
1: Is it a museum? Yeah. To me, that's not bad, especially in that case, the Holocaust case. They want to keep the memory of that stuff in people's minds so that it, it doesn't happen again.
2: Right. So, okay. yeah, it has the ostensible
0: goal of like remembering.
2: Educating.
1: Uh, Educating, yeah.
0: But I I think that might be a flimsy... No, no, not at all. I mean, I think that's the interesting thing because I think the topic has widened out. Ten years ago, dark tourism would be visiting Auschwitz and learning and remembering and obviously being somewhere where something truly terrible has happened. But you're there to be educated and to remember. Whereas I think where dark tourism gets a little bit curly is where people are sort of traveling paces for entertainment only. And that's where things get like quite interesting and a little bit dicey. So I'm drawn to a ton of the stuff. I thought you were. A I'm I'm glad (laughs) I'm
2: glad I went to to Dakau because it's like no other place I've ever stood in my life. And I'm not someone who believes in God or or spirits or anything, but there was a palpable gravity to the place. It felt haunted in a way I've never been any other place. It's just you can feel the horror that happened there. Mm -hmm. There's something about that that is life-affirming. You leave with gratitude. You're so thankful that that's not been your life experience. So in that way, it seems productive. But let me also just say, I am perversely drawn to like Pablo Escobar. So I'd want to go see that prison he was in. I'd want to tour it. I'd want to see the hot tub he was in. I want to see the soccer field he used to play on
0: that he built for himself. I want to see all that. So I don't know what the line is there. That's narco tourism, the idea of like going to Colombia and seeing all these spots and potentially meeting some of the people that were involved in that scene because they're still alive, people that were around at that time. Up until recently, Pablo Escobar's hitman was out there doing tours What's and doing his He has a cute name, like Tweety or Popeye. Popeye, yeah, yeah. He's dead now. <laughs> oh, he died. Yeah, yeah. Cancer. Since you talked to him, dead. Yeah, since I talked to him, yeah, he's yeah. passed away. I felt like I would be very
2: much you, uh, maybe two clicks to the right or left of you, but you were having this experience when you were talking to him, which is the guy is gregarious and charming and mm. fun-loving, and you have to keep reminding yourself, oh, this guy murdered his girlfriend. There's just a lot going on. By being kind to him, are you somehow condoning what he did? But I don't think you are.
0: Yeah, and I I think that's one of the most ethically compromised parts of dark tourism because you've got a guy, Popeye, who kills around 300 people, including his girlfriend. And when I was there, there were a couple of guys that were there that had come from New York that were there purely because they were huge fans of Narcos on Netflix. Okay. And when they saw Popeye, who we were filming with, their eyes lit up like they'd seen a celebrity. Yeah. And that's where things in dark tourism definitely get somewhat dicey because, yeah. yeah, it's not a great vibe. Yeah. Could
2: we start with like some of the most basic moral questions we could ask? Like, I don't think I feel like it's wrong to be interested in ghoulish stuff. Like mm. how many women do I know or read every serial killer book? Uh-huh. And was, those people are not ethically compromised, in my opinion, for acting out whatever their biggest fear
0: is. No, and I think it's a way to process an event or to even think about death like confronting it i think that's why serial killer documentaries are so popular because especially amongst females because that is a real fear that yeah. you live with and so it's a way of confronting it right
2: yeah. Yes. yeah yeah
1: processing it and in a safe way
2: being able to look at it as close as you can without being potentially a victim of it
1: yeah but, yeah. but what about on the hollywood tours and stuff for sure they drive by the hotel where whitney houston died Like, that's a part of all this, too. And people, like, you know, they get, like, a charge. It's a thrill. They do. And then there's something to be looked at there. Like, why (laughs) does it excite you to see the spot where this person died or this person was murdered?
0: Well, yeah, here in Los Angeles, you've literally got the Museum of Death. I even think of the big celebrity graveyard, Hollywood Forever. What does it mean when people wander around there looking for their favorite celebrities? gravestone. I went you know? to
2: Evil Knievel's grave in Butte, Montana. Mm-hmm. It was part of an episode of Top Gear, but I suggested we go to the grave. I think you're just trying to connect what feels like a fake world, which is the world you consume on television and movies and this strata of celebrity. It almost doesn't feel real, but when I stand there in front of Evil Knievel's grave, it's just like, oh, he's really right here. He's a real guy that is in my now sphere of life it's almost like you're passing into maybe their world that you've thought about. and
0: Yeah, and I think probably as well, just with our relationship with pop culture, we do feel incredibly close to these people that we've never met. And mm-hmm. we know so much about their lives, which 100 years ago, we wouldn't have had that opportunity. But it's sort of a way of getting closure for yourself because you feel like you know that person.
2: I'm so interested in, I guess this is one of my character defects. I've thought about it a lot, but I'm, I'm really interested in people who... Pablo Escobar, Hmm. this is a person who has no means, no support system, no advantage, and through his own sheer will, became the eighth richest man in the world in the 80s. I'm drawn to that. Of course, I ignore the thousands of people that died in the process of him becoming that, but there's some display of will that I'm really attracted to, and will without privilege. I don't know why I like that. Monica, you must think that's crappy. I like all those people.
1: I don't think it's crappy. To me, you're excluding the most important part, which is that he hurt so many, killed, hurt, took advantage of so many people.
2: Yeah, but even someone, if someone has the will to kill everyone, like if you could give someone a button, they can blow up St. Louis. That is not the same skill as acquiring $8.8 billion in the 80s. You're saying they worked hard. Yeah. And I would say <laughs> yeah. they're almost Robin Hoodie figures. I mean, that's what Pablo occupied in Medellin. He built all these low-income housing yeah, and, projects. And, 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 and
0: because of what he did, he's super divisive there. You've got a certain part of the population, a large part of the population that is like, this is the most evil man we could imagine. There's still people there, though, that feel that their lives benefited from having him there, and he would help those communities. And there's a certain that's number awesome. of people there that like the guy and what he represented. The thing that I find really interesting, and actually when we made Dark Tourist, the show, the main pushback I got, which I understand more the further I get away from it, is the fact that I'm a privileged white person going into these communities. That aspect of being like a white person barging into these communities for your own education and And entertainment entertainment, perverse interest. And I was reminded of this. There was a story that went round about when the government in Afghanistan collapsed and the Taliban moved in. There was this really preppy British kid. He was 22 years old. He was an engineer. He went over to Afghanistan as a dark tourist. And he was there. He wasn't there for the fall, but the fall happened pretty much immediately as he got there. And his reaction was to immediately jump onto some image boards and Twitter and Facebook and just make a lot of witty calls about what was going on. Like, isn't this wacky? (sighs) Here I am. And that reminded me of like the height of privilege because he had access to embassies and that kind of thing he eventually got evacuated that feels really (laughs) really really gross yeah
1: it is it's just so like look at this thing that's happening over here that doesn't affect me and i can comment on it it's just well
2: here again i might be guilty of this a bit so Mm. i went to afghanistan twice and my true motivation Entertaining and acknowledging the troops that are over there miserably was just one of the motivations, and it might not have been the strongest. Mm. Probably the strongest for me is I have spent, at that point, 38 years watching movies about war. They're so abstract to me. They're so cinematic, generally. I very much wanted to see how does it compare to the movie version, the TV version. You can't get yourself into a war zone unless you're a journalist or a military person, Mm. And I felt like I had the opportunity to witness that and experience
0: it. And I really wanted to. Well, this What is, is that? <laughs> am, am I the British kid? <laughs> no, this is really interesting because the guy I spoke to for this episode, his name's Andy Drury. He'd probably call himself a reformed war tourist. Rewind 15, 20 years, all he wanted to do was go to a frontline just for the thrill of it. And I met him through dark tourists. So our shared sort of background is we met in Kazakhstan and we went to Atomic Lake, which is literally a lake that is made when the USSR set off a giant atomic explosion. And it created a little crater and then a Crated lake. created a big old crater and a lake. And we went swimming in there and we ate fish from there, which
3: I think is probably,
0: was genuinely an incredibly bad idea. Because I do feel like, I mean, you shouldn't swim in Atomic Lake. It yeah. was a really bad idea. But we had a lot of vodka. We were with some <laughs> Russians. And we kind of just dared ourselves And there's a pressure when there's cameras there, right? You sort of want to make good TV. You want to get the shot. We got the shot. There is something valid, though, about the fact that alcohol
2: somehow inoculates you a little bit to radiation poisoning? Oh. Wasn't it that the scientists in Chernobyl who were really drunk got less radiation? <laughs> really? And they advise you to drink vodka when you go on these Chernobyl tubers?
0: Yeah, that is a thing. I still haven't gotten to the bottom of how valid
2: Yeah, you haven't is. talked to a I, physicist or that a chemist? It seems
1: like that's just <laughs> a seems, way to get people to buy vodka. <laughs>
2: it seems crazy. And then at the same time, you're like, I don't know, maybe there's all these weird Benefits to things that are not discovered till it's like, oh, wow, that works for that. I don't know. It's very embraced that idea. And and then to hear that you were on vodka swimming
0: and eating fish makes a ton of sense.
2: Yeah, you
1: ate fish from there?
0: Yeah, there were these fishermen there swimming, and we had a little um, gas burner, and we're like, wouldn't it be a neat scene if we were all came together? This is good N8, TV. I mean, think no it's fish. So, yeah. So, this was maybe five years ago now. <laughs> oh, no. But I do sometimes, if I'm feeling a bit sick or a bit down, I will sort of think, oh, is that, as, <laughs> yeah. has the cancer the come for me? You know? the fish come um, knocking. That mm. fish. So, that's how Andy, the waterist, <laughs> and I met in Kazakhstan. And it's a huge lake. It's like 400 meters wide and 200 meters deep. Because you are thinking feet. It's very big. 600 feet it's a, deep. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, a, it's a big old lake. Andy is very British. I met his wife and his kids. He's a builder. It's the most normal family you could ever think of. He has come around to seeing the moral issues with what he did. So we sort of talked around like how he got into this. Mm. And his first trip was into Pakistan because he wanted to get into Afghanistan. And so maybe we can kind of critique his journey as he goes through. So this is him talking about a trip in 2012, how he kind of got into this stuff.
3: During my trips those days, I was kind of a bit of a macho. Wanted to show my mates, tell the story. Look, Andy's been to another stupid place. And that kind of was the thing that appealed to me. I ended up in Peshawar. Now, Peshawar is kind of the hut. It's in Pakistan. It's the home of the Taliban. They've got universities for the Taliban. there's a tribe called the Pashtun tribe, which are Taliban. Because Taliban means believer in faith. Obviously, Taliban doesn't mean terrorist. And when I was over there, I went to a Taliban training camp, a brick factory they use it during the day and went out there by night. So we like had this flashing lights, and we had a, an RPG and a gun, and had a bit of a shoot around. Going back now, I'm quite embarrassed with that because for me, that was a bit of fun. And I looked a bit of fun. I didn't think of the implications as I do now, as the journey's gone on. When you were telling your story before, Dex, I kind of feel there's like a slight
0: overlap in the mentality. So I, this is not a sob story, this hmm. is just me understanding why I
2: am the way I am. I was victimized so much as a kid that I have done everything possible to send an image to the rest of the world. Don't try to hurt me. I will hurt you back. I mean, I'm very mm. active in doing that subconsciously, not knowing it. So the notion that he wanted to go do that and then tell his buddies, I have to imagine this guy has some of that in his background because you're, you're just letting everyone know, I'm fucking nuts, man. I'll go over to Pakistan. I'll go here. Like, just let the world know I'm crazy as a motherfucker. So don't try to hurt me. Secondly, mm. when you've had trauma like that, You are forever stimulated by that, as I am. So my favorite part of the two trips I took to Afghanistan was when our base got bombed and we had to go into bomb shelters and there were RPGs exploding and many people were scared. And I was like, this is life or death. I got to be super aware. I got to do the right thing. The stakes are real. It's dramatic. I love that situation. And I think, as a byproduct of my childhood of like living in great stimulation and then also then replicating that quite often in life, so I don't know this yeah. guy's background, but I, I wouldn't be surprised if he yeah. was in a lot of chaos as a kid, and
0: he actually likes feeling a little terrified, you know? We talked a bit about how he justifies this with his family. Like how did you find it with your loved ones around you at the time when you were going to these places, like with the discussions you had to have? I got in tons of bar fights. I love to fight. I love to be in chaos. I didn't know that about
2: you. Oh, yeah. And I love to navigate my
0: way out of it. (laughs) No, I honestly, I didn't know about the fighting.
1: That wasn't sucking. Have you you listened to any episodes?
0: No, I have have listened to a few episodes. (laughs) You know, I didn't didn't know know about most
2: of the knuckles on my hands. Yeah. And I think when I leave those situations, I feel bolstered that I won't ever be taken advantage of. Like, I feel safe. It makes me feel safe. If I can get through that situation. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm never gonna get
0: hurt again. Look how I do. I don't know. No, so, it, you are, so you're so built for dark tourism because a big part of it is confronting terrible things and coming out away from it and being yeah. like champions.
2: And I don't think I'll be talking out of school because Tom Arnold's so honest about everything in his life, but he was with me on the first time. And in the sea of people who were very concerned and running quickly to these bomb shelters, Tom was having a blast too. I looked over at him and I could <laughs> tell he was having as much fun as I was. And I know his childhood and it's a mess.
1: But can you recognize that it's doing something to you internally because of your past, but the global picture is that you can come and leave. You're protected, even though the whole point is that you're in this chaos and you can get out of anything and that makes you feel good. These other people around you don't have that luxury. Can you recognize like, oh my gosh, like I feel like this is fun, because of my own stuff, but this is not fun. This is a really bad situation for a lot of people.
0: That's how Daniel Rutledge, that 22-year-old British kid that went over as Mm -hmm. the Taliban toppled things, that was the main criticism that was leveled at him. It's like he can potentially leave, but for the people there under this regime...
1: They're hanging they can't. on to the plane. They're hanging
0: on to a plane as it takes off and dropping. And I'm guilty of this as well, because every situation in Dark Tourist I dropped into that might be a little bit dangerous,
1: you are I could be whisked
0: way. away. Mm-hmm. I had mm-hmm. Netflix money behind me. Yeah. Yeah. And that's like huge privilege. And the yeah. second you do that, it becomes problematic. And that's a really interesting aspect to the show. I don't know if I
2: can sign on to, once you recognize privileges afoot, that that means anything like you could recognize that you got to do sat training sessions monica and you could recognize that's privilege and you can recognize that other kids don't have access to that i don't know that that should inform whether or not you take the tutor class like yeah you have that privilege and any human being that has access to that privilege should probably take it i don't think there's a moral imperative about whether or not you should have done the sat tutor sessions And I didn't impact anybody negatively. So there's no no part of my behavior had a negative outcome on anyone in my orbit.
1: Except if you came home and you're like, it was so fun. That's painting a picture that's a bit incorrect.
2: If I said it was a great place, that would be incorrect. If I say I had fun, that's the truth. Okay. I would love to be wrong about this. I'm not coming back and telling people whether they should go to Afghanistan or not. I'm not going and saying... The place is fun or that the people have it easy i'm only being honest with you about my what my reaction was to live fire happening which is it got exciting for me and i actually enjoy that feeling of am i gonna live or die am i gonna get out of this safely i don't think i need to take on the fact that like the situation is a situation regardless of my involvement in it if i was going there and profiting or hurting people or anything like that i think there's an issue but if I'm just there to entertain troops, some shit went down and I enjoyed it, and I'm honest about that, I don't know. Yeah. You do
0: mirror Andy's story quite a bit. Oh, okay. So he's about to make the crossing from Pakistan into Afghanistan, and it's bizarre how close your experiences kind of line up. So okay. this was
3: the next part of his trip. My target was Kabul. Our journey was supposed to be by plane and safe, but the planes were being shot down. Taliban was still active. So our flights got canceled, so, I was gonna go road, through the Khyber Pass. So we did, we joined the lorry drivers, but we were amongst the Taliban. We didn't notice, we just drove through, stopped in Jalalabad, town full of Taliban, went for a cup of tea. Didn't even know the implications if somebody had stopped us, even at that point, still stupid, absolutely stupid. I speak to people on the side of the street, rug salesmen, just common people, and got the feel for the place. Um, lovely human being, better than we are because their survival is just waking up every morning, having a good day. We have a good day every day. Although, <laughs> on the way back, I nearly got killed. They closed the border from Afghanistan to Pakistan, come under attack by Taliban. Taliban come out of the trees, Taliban come everywhere, and they started attacking all the vehicles. Myself and my cousin Nigel were at the back. They just didn't notice we were there. We watched it all happen. Our driver and our security guard got out of the car and ran, and left us in the car. So were you just hunkered down in the back seat? Yeah, yeah, just watching it all go ahead. Just thinking, fuck, we're in trouble. But they just didn't notice it. The border patrol sent the Taliban back into the trees and our driver came back. And we just, well, thanks fucking lot. (laughs) Nice security, you ran.
0: I don't know if thrills the right word, but that moment is probably a feeling that partly drives some of your travel, that feeling of actual danger. Like it's not a roller coaster. It's this whole other level.
3: Most definitely, David, at that point it did, because at that point I was looking for war. Stories hadn't evolved by then. Mine was just thrill-seeking at that time. The Afghan, Pakistan, Iran, and Iraq at that point were just thrill-seeking. Hearing him describe it, I can see the
2: part of it that is problematic, especially the way I just told my version of it. It almost sounds like he's saying he's grateful that situation's happening so he can be a part of it. I'm not glad that that whole situation I was in happened, but I also enjoyed it when it happened.
0: Totally. Yeah. And you're being honest in how you're, you are reacted to the situation you're in. You're never gleefully saying, I'm so glad this violence is taking place. <laughs> right. The shifts are so subtle in how you perceive this stuff. And it is why it's so fascinating. Yeah. The question of any element of dark tourism is, should we get any kind of visceral, essentially entertainment out of anything awful that's happened? Yeah, like when yeah. you go to a place of mass death and you sort of feel that Reactions there's a of being, feeling there's that a feeling, happens, yes. And it's the same feeling you get when you're entertained by a documentary about a serial killer. We're like, oh, that's so awful. Uh-huh. I'm glad that's not me. Yeah. That's the feeling. And that feeling is the thing that's so ethically tricky with any of this stuff. I'll add one element that's potentially tricky,
2: and I could see where the optics of it appear to be this, which is, is he treating it like I've gone to Africa and I hope to see two lions fight? Because in that sense, you are saying like these other humans engaged in this are so disposable that I won't even be heartbroken when They're I witness the, movie the destruction in
1: front of me. Yeah. Yes, yes, yeah, so absolutely.
2: If, if those are the optics you view it through, that's pretty repugnant. I agree. But if you personally want to be involved in this thing that's already happening and you're not looking them them that that they are trivial or that this isn't real or that this is cute or that I don't know I don't know no, but well, I can like, see the
0: optics no, issue there's the othering that goes on as well of yes. saying like I'm here and, and no it is it's all super troubling and I think where Andy I have a soft spot for Andy because I know him since we filmed the show and he's become super aware of how problematic all of this was and his whole thing now is when he travels because he still wants to travel to these places but his whole thing now is he wants to meet people and like help tell their story and mm-hmm. get that. story out there the optics are still slightly controversial like his last trip he did he got back about two months ago he went and met a young woman who'd left the uk when she was 15 to join isis she's now in a prison camp that she had her citizenship taken away from her so she doesn't have citizenship anywhere oh my gosh Um, she's in a prison camp in Syria, and he went and met her and that was controversial you know but his whole thing now is he wants to tell these stories which is fair enough his whole thing now is he'll film it, he'll get the story out, and that's the way I think that he justifies what he well, does. Well, he's turned it into
1: journalism. Which yes. once you have this head of this is for journalistic purposes, somehow you can get kind of away well, that, with it. Yeah, because those could've...
2: journalists love it. By the way, of course I've they would talk to them. They yeah. wouldn't
1: be attracted to that kind of thing unless they also got something out of it. Because I was just listening mm-hmm. to this horrific daily episode about the bombing Oof. in the airport in Afghanistan. And the journalist at the New York Times, the journalist hears about the bombing and immediately goes straight Straight to the scene and says to the Taliban, like, I'm a journalist and they let him through. And like, it's the same, but different because credentials and different because it's under the guise It's it's
0: it's framed differently. I think some vice journalists are some of the best journalists in the world, and they're telling these incredible stories, and they will be going into places where awful things are happening. You get another type of vice journalist that will just be going in for the sort of entertainment factor of it.
2: Can I add one other story? Because this one gets divorced of the human tragedy, Mm. perhaps, which is when there were horrendous fires 10 years ago, Chris and I are laying in bed. We're seeing it on TV. It's here at Angeles Crest, where I ride motorcycles. Mm. And after about an hour of watching it, it's like 11 o'clock at night. I get up, put on my shit, and Kristen's like, where are you going? I'm like, I oh gotta fucking see this fire. And I went with my camera, and I took a bunch of pictures, and, you know, it was fucking impossible to breathe, the whole thing. Kristen's like, I don't understand this, and I, I have to go do that. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, you absolutely
0: are. You're a dark tourist. tourist. Yeah. <laughs> so that's my I diagnosis so. of you, if it wasn't obvious already. <laughs> this is too big of a topic. I think we've gotten really
2: good and are getting better at recognizing when you look at the inner city black community and you go, oh, the crime rate is 70% higher. Your conclusion isn't, oh, those people are criminals. Your conclusion has to be, oh, those poor people are in a situation without any opportunity, without any role models, without any, and this is the expected outcome. And so we need to really not be shaming anyone about the outcome of this. We need to be understanding what created this outcome. So part of our evolution that's still coming. And I think I'd like to be a part of starting it is like 30% of the people in this country have been molested. 25% of them have been beat and sent to the hospital by a parent. They're going to have some things that happen as a result of that. And we have to view it with the same compassion. We we owe it to them. And I know like Monica and I have had some fights about like these losers that fucking tried to kill the Michigan governor. And it's these guys are fucking dipshits, no question. But I also look at them and I look at all eight of them and they're living in a fucking field in lean-to, aluminum, corrugated steel fucking tripods. And I'm like, yeah, guess what? Some bad shit comes out of that. That is the breeding ground for terribleness. And so I can only be so mad at all these people who are thrill-seeking, trying to prove their masculinity, trying to be brave. Trying. I have some compassion for all those people. That's not a natural desire that someone has. I think it's generally the result of trauma. And I just think like, we gotta be careful how judgmental we are of everybody who's doing something that's bizarre. What do you think about that, Monica?
1: Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think you can know the reasons why and you can have compassion, but you also can't say, and so that's okay. It's okay that this person tried to kidnap the governor. Like, you can say, oh, this is why, and we have to start making upstream changes to mm, fix some mm. of these things in the future, but we can't just write off the consequences. The consequences
0: of doing these things. The crime
2: rate in the black community. I just think we all look at these blowhards with fucking tribal tattoos out fucking riding on tanks as blowhard dipshit assholes, and we're judgmental and we think they're toxic masculinity, and they are, but they didn't pick that. <laughs> that's all I'm saying is like one of the behaviors seems pretty repugnant and unnecessary, but I just don't think anyone's from a super healthy background is drawn to any of this and should maybe have the same compassion as a 14 year old boy who shoots another boy in Chicago. I feel bad for the 14 year old boy who shot the other boy. Of course he shouldn't shoot somebody, but I actually feel deeply sad for the kid who shot the other kid.
1: Mm -hmm. Do you feel like, okay, like in a school shooting situation, Uh obviously the kid doing that has stuff. Most well-adjusted people don't walk into their school and shoot everybody there. right? So he has a problem too, and he has issues. You can say this person has problems. They killed a bunch of kids. And so there's a consequence there for that. And you can have compassion for whatever's going on in their life and recognize that's not allowed. But
2: again, my question would be, is your first thought when you read that a 14-year-old killed a 15-year-old in Chicago is your first thought is we got to prove to that, that 14-year-old killing's wrong? Is that your first thought? Because my first thought is what a fucking tragedy. This poor kid who's 14 who shot and killed somebody must have had the most Wait, fucked up But you're up not ride.
1: answering my question about the school shooting. What do you feel about that? Because it's a different thing.
2: It's not. That is my response, is that you don't look at the school shooter because they're white. With any compassion. Your your main trajectory is, this is a horrible thing that we need to make sure doesn't happen. That kid needs to be punished, which is all true. That's your first thought with the school shooter. I would argue that is not your first thought with a black but 14-year-old. is it
1: your first thought?
2: No. My first thought is, I can see the kid in my school that probably would have done it had it been popular when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. We had a trench coat mafia in my school. One kid got kicked out for having a shotgun in his locker. I know those kids. I know what they went through. They were fucking ground up by that high school and shit on and made fun of and bullied i witnessed that my first thought in school shooting is like we got to figure out how to make these high schools not so fucking brutal to these kids
1: i totally agree with everything you just said but i don't think that's true i think your first thought when you hear about a school shooting is your kids you have two kids who are in school and my guess is when you hear about a school shooting the very first thought is some sort of mirror neuron of the parents of the kids who died, not the person then probably very quickly after because you you have a lot that of self-awareness. Could change.
2: My kids aren't old enough to be in a high school where that happens, where other students It happened shoot in,
1: it. in an elementary school.
2: Yeah, for whatever reason, I don't go to my kids getting shot yet. Mm. I think that could change as they get older, for sure. I know my friend Ethan, he's puts bulletproof shit in their backpack, so it's on his mind.
0: Yeah. Oh, man. Oof.
2: My mind does go to what happened to the kid who went and did the most horrific thing that yeah. none of us could imagine. But that's my child. My mom would hear about the drunk driving accident in town. Immediately, she feels bad for the kid who survived, not the kids that died as a result of his drinking. Yeah. That is where my brain- I yeah. agree, actually,
1: within a lot of those cases, too. But-
0: But the white pieces of shit who do this stuff, they, too, are victims. Yeah, to a level, the the trouble with the world we live in now, we've got these kids that are growing up on these awful message boards and all egging each other on, is there is this attitude of victimhood, which has reached an entirely unreasonable sort of level, Mm -hmm. where I get what you're referring to and what you're referring to resounds with me, Dax, but there's also this other level I think now plays out, especially in the last couple of years of incels and all that kind of territory, where it's just like kids feeling sorry for themselves because like a girl rejected them that kind of attitude becomes i've I've, my tolerance for that is sort of pretty much zero me too and those kids have had horrible lives but also it's been thanks to them marrying up with the internet it's just becomes this awful toxic thing and i've got like zero sympathy even though they do have awful lives that are much worse than my life for Mm -hmm. example it's so tricky. You go even further. I think that school shooting example is really interesting. You go to a serial killer, right? It's like, okay, think of some generic terrible serial killer. He's probably had a shitty childhood. How sorry do we feel for them and what they carried out years later?
2: But I think people like to try to place a fake line between these things that doesn't exist. So it's all a big blurry. Y- you don't mess. need you don't need because you're compassionate and want to get to the root of a problem, you're not declaring you don't want punishment for somebody. That's the thing people on the left and right try to say, like, oh, let's let them all, no. Send everyone to jail. Anyone who's dangerous shouldn't be on the streets. Also, it might not be evidence that they're a fucking piece of shit. It might be evidence that they were born in the worst possible house to be born in, and we have got a pretty predictable outcome. You can still punish all those people.
1: I mean, I think that is what everyone's saying here. Like, yes, there's horrible reasons people end up the way they end up. And we can try to implement things that will prevent that in the future for more kids. So that's one thing happening. It's like, that sucks. They grew up like this. This is, this obviously led to this, and that's horrible. And let's prevent that. Let's nip that in the bud in the future. And here are the consequences for when that happens i don't think we're saying anything much well i
2: think that's the last hurdle of confronting toxic masculinity is there's no fucking compassion for toxic masculinity it's just they're these fucking crazy silverback assholes that need to be eradicated Hmm. and they need to be given the exact same benefit of the doubt as the most downtrodden because what is downtrodden is it getting fucking beat to shit by your father every single day when you got home from school is it watching your mom get beat up every day is it getting raped you know what is it? Is it just being poor? I don't know. We need a much broader net, is my argument, is who we're going to extend that compassion and understanding to. And, and let's all start with the assumption that all of us are kind of good when we're born.
0: Yeah, Absolutely. I'm, <laughs> um, no, I'm 100%. Yeah, we are all good when yeah. we're born. And I think back to how I acted in front of Pablo Escobar's hitman, who's like an awful human, and there I was like laughing with him and feeling like I want to go and have a beer with him. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Fuck. Um, Andy. Yeah. And the, geez, <laughs> this one really Jesus. went astray. No, I mean, it's dark tourism. This is the whole idea of the gotta, space I is getting got, into this stuff.
2: I don't think you can have the topic of dark tourism without asking why someone would be interested in. Dark oh, a hundred percent is exactly yeah, yeah. where we should For be. Sure. And yeah. it was
0: inevitable. We'd end up here. Yeah. And in, in 2016, this is when Andy started looking at what he was doing with his travel and going, ugh, this is sort of not for me. So he went into Iraq. This was when things started to kind of shift in his whole war tourism career.
3: I went into Iraq looking for a front line. Um, That was my mission. The whole started unusually for me. I knew something was gonna happen. I don't know why. I thought I was not gonna come back. I thought I was gonna die in Iraq. I knew it was active, and I knew that it might be pushing the boundaries. And I said goodbye to Rachel and my kids. I didn't think I'd see them again. And at that point, getting into the vehicle and the taxi and the journey it was for no reason, bar me. It wasn't for television. It wasn't for newspapers. It was just for Andy to maybe feel seek So I said goodbye to her, kissed her, and I thought I'd never see her again. I jumped on board. I still made the journey and still left. And then we woke up the next day, crack of dawn. We drove up to these front lines. We went for the checks, met the Peshmerga, the Kurds. But there was nothing going on, and I was gutted. The third day towards the end, We said, right, we're gonna go to Kirkuk. Kirkuk is real dangerous. Kirkuk's full of ISIS at that time. We had no passes, no visas, no nothing to get through. We just drove and got away with it. And then we got lost. Um, Lost in Kirkuk's not great. We pulled over and we were asking where the front line was. How fucking ridiculous that. Excuse police, mate, where's the KFC? Where the fuck's the battle? And then we took off road and I could hear mortar fire. I knew I'd made what I'd come for. It was like a... Crossroads in my life, it became. I was passing tanks. I was passing armoured vehicles. I had a pair of, I think, Gucci trainers on, which is ridiculous, isn't it? And a T-shirt and no flat jacket, nothing. And we got to the furthest point and it had just stopped. The fighting had stopped and I thought, shit, I'm gonna miss it. I started talking to the general and this is where things in me changed because on the floor, there was like this football. I thought it was a football they'd been kicking around, but it was someone's stomach. And the general kicked this stomach into the bushes and kicked dirt over it. And he explained that it was the stomach of an ISIS fighter. And I was like, shit, someone's just kicked someone's stomach in the edge. What am I doing here? So that's where Andy clocked that
0: maybe this whole frontline war thing for a thrill isn't an ethically and morally great hill to die on so to speak. I don't know if he's
2: accurate about what changed his mind there. Okay. I think he believes it's witnessing the kicking of the stomach into the brush, but I think it was more a subconscious acknowledgement that he was praying the fighting would continue so he could witness it. It's
0: exactly what you'd referenced before. Yeah. This idea of like wanting to find a battle. Yeah. Why isn't the fireworks display being let off right now while I'm here? Exactly. Like
2: you wished there to be warfare. That's kind of where I think a pretty clear ethical line is. And it sounds like he stepped over it. Like as he was getting closer, he's now getting fearful. It's gonna end. It ends, he's pissed. Then he witnesses this thing, but I bet there was this moment where when he was pissed that the fighting was over, he had to have thought like, "That's oh, kind of weird. I want them to be well, killing each other. Well, it's tied
1: together, right? It's like, oh no, it's over. But then the immediate reality of what's over is in front of him of like, oh wait, that's what I wanted to see?
0: Yeah. Yeah, there's a bit of a human there. Yeah. Was a human. And things kicked off further. And this is where, like, I think they sealed the deal for
3: him. I sat in this sniper pit and I joined this guy. He was a teacher. And I sat there talking to him. We're just exchanging what you're doing, Alan Been. He'd been there three years and gave him some money for a telephone card. And we shared a drink. We shared chats about our family. And he said, see that building with a translator and said, yeah, that's my house. And in that house, he said, I've got my wife and two children and Isis with them. And he said, for the last two years, I've stared at that building. I don't know if my wife's been raped or my children have been raped or they're still alive. And I was in tears. I mean, even telling the story, I'm filling up now to be with somebody that I didn't know, somebody nobody recognizes, somebody no one would care about. Someone maybe that listen to this podcast go, it don't mean nothing to me, but at that moment, he meant everything to me and he still does. His story has completely changed me.
0: And he actually went back later and met with him again. And he'd reunited with his wife. His oh, wife got good. out. Incredibly happy ending. Like it seems like a Hollywood ending to a yeah. story, really. But that was the end for him. He was like, okay, I'm not going to do this whole Warzone thing for the right. sake of it. Not to take this in a comedic direction,
2: but I just had that thought of being entrenched as a sniper in my military gear. <laughs> and having Andy. And a dude roll up in like a collared shirt and Gucci <laughs> shoes, like, hey, what are you up to? Um, I'm a sniper. What, what's your thing? Oh, I'm just from Tulsa, Oklahoma.
0: I'm just hanging. What a oh, fucking no. bizarre... No, and I mean, Andy would so see crazy. the humor in that. I mean, he acknowledges he was there in like a, Gucci, a Gucci, like shoes and stuff. You know, it's outrageous. The like civilian just wanders up. From, yeah, what are you looking at? Oh, it's my wife up there through that window. Yeah. You know? It's, you, could I it's, get a
2: selfie with you?
0: It's the extreme of what yeah. dark tourism yeah. can be. It's a lot. So yeah, that's where he shifted his thinking about things. That story, that's the one that got through to me where I was like, oh, that's
2: bonkers. I think there's another potential explanation as well which is like maybe there's also some desire to feel something yeah to like wake yourself up yeah like if you learn to overlook a lot of stuff you can dull your mm-hmm. i have a lack of emotions i think you know same yeah
0: no i think i think the longer you live the more muted you can kind of get to things and you kind of
2: want to be woken up and feel alive and yeah
1: yeah
0: And again, like, okay, so in the context of dark tourism, like, is that a selfish thing to like want to travel to these places or have these thrills just to sort of wake yourself up? Like you often people will say and people I met while we're shooting the show were saying, I feel part of the reason I come here is to feel thankful and grateful for the wonderful life I have and to kind of and even I think that's questionable, like using other people's terrible experiences to make yourself feel better about your own shitty life. It's
2: the ultimate you know?
0: exercise in down comparing,
2: mm-hmm. which yeah. they advise you to do in yeah, psychology. Yeah, no, completely.
0: Oh yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Like the last story, Andy also, we had this bond of jumping in this horrible nuclear lake. He had done something that I'd wanted to do, which was go to Chernobyl. But this is one of his first sort of dark tourism trips. I'm sort of curious to get your take on visiting an area of radiation, because I still wonder if I should have done it or not. So he was one of the first to visit Chernobyl as like a tourist. Like he was sort of got in there before like the miniseries, you know, on HBO. He was in there. This was his experience.
3: We were officially, myself and my cousin Nigel, the first tourists in Chernobyl. And we got ourselves in by a good fixer. And it was a strange thing because... Radiation. You love radiation, don't you? You seem to have a thing for it.
0: <laughs> it's my favourite thing.
3: Have you checked down between your legs? Are they all still <laughs> there? <laughs> I
0: do little testicle checks occasionally to make sure they're not riddled with cancer.
3: Chernobyl, we went there when you could go into the mortuary. We went into the school classroom. You could see the panic of gas moths strewn everywhere. And you could see shoes on the floor. Someone had dropped a doll, so there was stuff scattered everywhere. The radiation, I didn't really give a fuck about it, to be honest, to start with. The only time I really felt about the radiation was we went into the woods where this woman refused to leave. She was an old woman. She must have been in the 70s and 80s. And she said, I'm going to die. I've lived in this house all my life. She could pretty much see the reactor from her house. And we sat down, and Ukrainian people were very hospitable, and she was preparing a meal for us from the vegetables she cooked on the land. And I thought, fuck. <laughs> I got respect, and I didn't want to say no to her. But I didn't want to eat her vegetables. I didn't want to eat anything she was preparing, but she had spent probably about an hour, and I like the plate was in, put in front of me, and I thought, I can't eat this. What do I do? And it was one of those moments you hear about where you flick the food off, or you put it in a tissue, and we did. Like, pretended we were stuffed. Me and my cousin scooped it away, wrapped it up, and kept it in our pocket. But ending on a
0: really big question, do you eat the radioactive vegetables? <laughs> I would have been a second because you,
2: you got an eighty-year-old woman in front of you. Clearly, it's not that bad. She's still with us. <laughs>
0: yeah, she's still yes, absolutely.
2: And she
1: might be like protected. so much vodka. Yeah, she all she does is drink vodka. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I would not eat it. Well, but I just wouldn't. You wouldn't be, be there, there to begin with. Yeah, See, that's the thing. <laughs> like
2: mm. my thought is like if you're going to look at a reactor, what the fuck are some vegetables? Like you're already pot committed.
1: That's true. Yeah, actually, I think it's worse if you're like. Yeah, I'm here to do all this stuff, but I won't eat the food you're making. silly. This is the line
0: I'm not going to cross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I sense, Monica, you're not a big dark tourist by nature. You want to go and have a nice holiday, not an unpleasant one.
1: Like, if there's a fire, I want to teleport... As far away as I can from the fire immediately. I don't like danger. No. I do not like it. Danger yeah. is bad. There's nothing. There is literally so are the, are nothing. The, are there any
2: of these? Well, stuff? I got one. I got an example. Okay. Would you, if in Rome, go tour the catacombs?
1: Yes, I went to the 9/11 memorial, but I don't really want to go to the 9/11. What I want to do is go to Emily Burger. Sure. Like I don't want to do that, but facial. I feel like I owe that. Out of respect, I do not get a high off of that. Yeah, that's I'm like, a hugely I different motivation
0: it. to pay respect to a situation.
1: Hugely yeah. different
0: to a thrill.
1: I get zero thrill.
0: And it's not very dangerous.
2: I've been there. It's pretty safe to see the memorial, the 9 11 memorial. It is. No,
1: so, no, it's safe. But I mean, some people might like be like, ooh, yeah, like I remember that, you know, doing a whole thing. And mm. my brain doesn't work like that. Like, I don't like connecting to those horrible moments where in would time you
2: draw the line that like people go to pompeii this town that was covered in ash and yeah. people were killed in position and
1: wow. so there's like
2: all these gradients of like what's
1: totally the one that you
2: had on your show where i was like i can't relate to this at all mm. to me this felt it certainly wasn't thrill-seeking it was just like real real uh, macabre which was the people going to that forest in japan where people hang themselves Oh yeah, the suicide forest it's called. I cannot make a motive for that trip. Unless you have been toying with the idea of suicide for a long time and you want to see it up close.
0: I think the only justification for going there is that it is an incredibly beautiful forest under Mount Fuji and it looks incredible. But yeah, I completely agree. That's the most ethically awful sort of thing we ran into. Yeah, Yeah, I don't actually have any desire to see human suffering.
2: No, That to me feels masochistic. Mm -hmm. I have desire to find out what
0: I'm made of a lot. Yeah, and I think they're very, very different things,
1: Mm -hmm. completely
0: very different things. And I think, yeah, the motivating factor for a lot of people getting into dark tourism is incredibly different for each person. Some people want to be educated, some people want to thrill, some people are just kind of sick assholes who want to see something awful you know yeah. the same sort of person that would want to go to rotten.com which i don't think exists anymore but it was a thing was when i was at school just like a shock site and you do that when you're 14 because you're an immature idiot and i think when you're still doing that as an adult and you just want to see something for the pure shock value yeah probably got to question your motivation a little bit
1: I do think there is a motivation also of like Pompeii and Chernobyl is like connecting to a moment in history because we're so privileged and disconnected disconnected. and so far away from those things that they feel just like stories that aren't real. And so there is something about being there and feeling like, whoa, this was
0: real. Oh, I, I could not agree more in something like Auschwitz. We need to, because there's literally still people out there now that don't think that was a real thing. That's how disconnected yeah. and messed up we've gotten. So reconnecting is so important. Yeah. I mean, that's huge. A weird one I've observed a
2: ton in the 26 years I've lived in LA, which is people gather outside of the Viper Room and they want to see where River Phoenix mm-hmm. od That's very LA. I've seen that a million times and I, with my whole heart, loved him as an actor when I was young. He's such a beautiful performer. That's never triggered me. I'm like, oh, these people like they loved him too. They want to like stare at this. I don't know. Like that to me almost feels like the elephants playing with the bones of the the elephants that died when
0: they walk back. Like they're trying to process something. Yeah, there's a huge market in LA, isn't there, for those sort of trips where you're just traipsing around? Isn't there like a death tour you can Probably, do on a bus? I'm sure. You're just driving around where people have died, where people have attempted suicide. Ugh. And that's, I mean, that's also the place we're at now. And I think I said this before like, we are so connected to pop culture, it doesn't feel real. It's like, oh, it's an entertaining thing to do. Yeah. It's like, we've seen it on Netflix, so let's do it in real life. Wow.
2: Well, and we're attracted to people doing stuff that scares us. We like watching people jump off of buildings with parachutes.
0: It all goes back to that whole thing of driving past a car crash on the freeway. And you have a little gawp. That's what we all do. I think it's very rare for someone not to do that. And that's what's kind of at the heart of it all.
2: Is there any legislation in any of these countries going like, this can't be an industry?
0: Not really. The only thing I can think of off the top of my head, I think the United States has sort of banned travel to North Korea because you had that incident not that long ago where an American went there to North Korea. He was on a tour. So essentially you are going there as a form of dark tourism. Let's go to this place, which we know is dangerous. He was at the airport ready to leave and was accused of stealing a propaganda poster from, I think, his hotel room. And he was imprisoned. He ended up falling into a mysterious coma. North Korea didn't tell any family in America what had happened while he was in prison. Eventually got back to America, died. There was a huge case around it, and America actually ordered North Korea to pay $501 in reparation to the family. Of course, North Korea never did that. Essentially, a dark tourist went to North Korea, got into a coma, ended up dying, suffered oxygen loss to his brain. And America has now cut off travel to North Korea, I believe. This might have changed again, but that's the only thing I can think of like a ban against tourism to a place. Locally, it's just... Lots of arguing, like when I was in Colombia and I was clearly on a narco tour because Popeye was there and people there, a lot of them hate Popeye. We got a lot of people yelling and like giving us the evil eye and there were signs up saying no narco tourism here, Mm. that's when we were at. So there's lots of angst, but as far as saying no to tourism, it's that tourism dollar. It is an economy in certain parts of the world and they make money off privileged people flying in, bussing in, paying money to have this experience. I'd want to go to North Korea. I have an idea of what it's like there, and
2: I want to see what it's like there. And not to gawk at people who are
0: suffering, but just I want to see. what is the color palette there? What is the effect of this regime? I would, yeah, that's something that I couldn't do. I wouldn't go anywhere where a government, if they arrested me, could Kill completely you. cut me off from an embassy. I feel like if I'm dealing with individuals, I can deal with it, but yeah. I'd be very scared of going into a place like that can
2: i tell you something i find more offensive than our friend trying to be on the front lines actually find these people who post instagram photos of them holding an african child in
0: africa i find that way more repugnant oh that's a whole i grew up in christianity and so many people i know would go on these trips to To like to help Mm -hmm. yeah and that's an industry like that's Mm. a huge massive income and that
2: one's more triggering to me because it's laden in hypocrisy Oof. and false virtue and all these things that those to me seem like character failings. Could not oh, agree more. That, that makes
0: my skin crawl
1: in those bad, situations. Yeah. But I know a lot of people who went on mission trips who really oh, believe good. they're doing something good there. I don't know. And there I don't can know that be good are, that but,
2: comes out of it. But you probably don't need to put a picture of yourself holding an,
0: a baby in Africa. Just go do your good work could not agree more nothing more irritating than the That's beaming beautiful white enough. face it's just gross um, holding yeah. a, a child like a savior. Some sort of yeah it's it's white it's Ugh. white savior complex yeah. I hate that well look dark tourism who thought that would be a dark topic <laughs> who saw that coming? <laughs> Did we cover the Luxor enough? Oh, I mean, it's a a scary pyramid. It was an entree. I want to hear, you had like a wonderful, delightful. I mean, my thing about the Luxor is it's allegedly haunted. People have died there. Tupac's and people, a casino staff member got stabbed by their boyfriend. The bats circling over the top. So Luxor, scary, cheap rooms. (laughs) Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. What is your... Oh, man, what a
2: great time this was. This circles back to the Jenny Hazleton situation. Okay. I'm at a blackjack table in the Luxor with Scotty. We start talking to these two gals from Australia. Brilliant. <laughs> We're not talking very long, Monica.
1: <laughs> I'm so nervous And about this, this
2: gal says, do you want to check out the stairwell? It's diagonal. Ah. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, absolutely, I do. And I go on the stairwell of the Luxor, and she pulls her slacks down mm-hmm. and bends over the crooked stairwell.
1: Okay. Because the,
2: the railing of the stairwell goes like this, right? Mm -hmm. very conducive to that and before i know it i just got invited to look at the stairwell coitus with an australian so exciting i'm drunk it's so it's so exciting what time of the day was this It was like 9 p.m
1: oh okay evening and i got back to the table and this guy was
2: like how was the stairwell i'm like oh my god that girl is it was so exciting. And again, I had to file it in the Jenny category. I was mm. like, what is happening with these uh, British folks?
1: Well, Australian, you said. I know, it's
2: but uh, by the way. same yeah, British, <laughs> Australian, same, Kiwi. Same culture, I would imagine. Or potentially the same culture in that way. Luxor. Yeah. <laughs> Lots
1: happening at Luxor.
2: <laughs> Diagonal that's stairwell. Fri- that's frightening. Making love <laughs> at like true. 25 years that's old. True. It was... What a time to be alive in Las Vegas. That didn't happen to me at the Luxor.
1: Well,
2: I'll take you. We'll play a little blackjack, see if we can't get you in that stairwell.
1: Diagonal stairwell.
2: Yeah. Oh, wow. Did that uplift the, or that made it worse, Uh, Oh No,
1: don't put that on me. Don't put that on me to judge whether that's-
2: You're the voice of reason on this podcast. I try to be, but
1: I'm doing a horrible job,
2: clearly.
1: (laughs) Reining it in. I'd
2: argue you're doing
0: a perfect job because it's somehow working. (sighs) Oh,
2: David. This was
1: fun, David. Yeah. No,
0: thank you. It's been a weird week for me. I feel very strange. I feel like a permanent tourist because I can't get back to New Zealand at all. They've closed the border. They've locked down from COVID. There's too many people wanting to get back. So I'm kind of now like a permanent tourist. I can go anywhere in the world, but But New Zealand. Yeah, Yeah,
1: super weird. Do you feel sad? Is it making you feel sad? I got this week, I
0: got a bit sad. I got a bit homesick because I wanted to see my parents, my little nieces, and thinking I'd like to see them at some point. Yeah. Silly cat you've (laughs) befriended. Stupid cat, Napoleon. Yeah, it's a weird thought not to be able to like jump on a plane and go home. Yeah, Yeah, that is. But this is the strange land we live in. And again, we're all dark tourists. And if you got to
2: get marooned somewhere, you could do worse than Los Angeles. I like Los
0: Angeles. Yeah. I like you guys. It's nice to be here. Okay, good, good, good.
2: By the way, oh. you and Robbie are driving to Salt Lake. And we are going to pass trip through Vegas. Uh-oh. Oh, my God. Pit stop. Please stop. I'm going to give you each a $100 bill to play blackjack <laughs> at the Luxor. That'll either. get you know, there. I don't Rob, want to You
1: better be careful. I don't want to share that
2: stay well. <laughs> You'll be the photographer in this scenario, Rob. Uh, Put him on oh our Instagram gosh. feed. Wouldn't that be lovely? I'm looking forward to our road trip. Love you guys. Can't wait Love to go you. to Salt Lake and see all the armchairs that are coming. I think there's one ticket left if you want to so buy it.
1: Snatch that up. Snatch it up now. <laughs>
2: MaddashedArmchairExpertPod.com. And there's a link there to go get tickets. Would you consider this proposed trip with you and Wobby Wob as dark tourism?
0: I think it is. Yeah, (laughs) You can find some
2: trouble between here and Salt Lake. So if you guys wanna make love to either Wobby Wob or David Ferrier, find them in Zion. What color tent are you guys gonna be in? (laughs) Love you guys.